Welcome to the Wonders of Thetis podcast, your one-stop shop for all your Dragon Age role-playing game needs. My name is Ren. And I'm Jessica. With us we have... Oh, hi, it's Andy. Hey, Yay. welcome back, Andy. It's been a while since we had you on. It has. How are we doing? Uh, doing okay, all things definitely considered. Definitely tired. <laughs> Very tired. Hello, midterms. <laughs> well, I guess by the time uh, by the time you all are here in this, I'll be... Much that much closer to spring break, so mm-hmm. I guess unless you're a member of the Patreon and then you you get to hear me while I'm suffering, so that's fine. <laughs> Immediate suffering delivered right to your ears. Thanks for giving us money. <laughs> one of the one is the latest podcast. <laughs> Gotta say, having left teaching, I I do miss having the spring break. I got a snow day recently. Believe that one. Fancy. I'm so sick of winter. Yeah, no. Oh, you and me both. Fair enough. Well, alright, so we've got four topics, and we had one just blow them all out of the water. It was I had a feeling this is what it was going to come yeah, to. Yeah, no since, one's surprised by uh, this. No, but I figure we should at least put it to a vote, and of course the winning vote was talking about Faces of Thetis. And yeah. Because it's we've got a book out for Dragon Age. What is this? Amazing. Let's talk about it. This is a strange reality. It is, right? What a weird timeline we walked into. <laughs> so, uh, we're going to start real quick by making a quick shout-out to one of our friends on the D20 Radio Network. Uh, the uh, This episode, we are going to be featuring the Order 66 podcast. Classic. The oldest podcast on the D20 Radio Network, Order 66, has been the original podcast source about Star Wars ro- tabletop role-playing for over a decade. We were li- I was listening to these folks back in college when they were talking about Saga Edition. Yep. And I think... Oh, wow. uh, Both of us were. <laughs> right. Uh, we were playing Saga Edition and still probably my favorite D20 system. I love that <laughs> system. It was probably not my favorite D20 system, but it is among my favorites. It is definitely top three. I have some fond memories of uh, slinging that in Woodlawn Hall. Ooh. All uh, right. We have a Woodlawn Hall here, too. We do, too. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, having started... Well, Woodlawn oh. Street and Woodburn Hall. Um, uh, having started with Wizards of the Coast Star Wars Saga Edition System, the podcast currently focuses on the Star Wars role-playing game by Fantasy Flight Games. Join GMs Chris, GM Dave, and GM Phil to talk about Star Wars role-playing. The latest episode, episode 121, uh, this episode of the Order 66 podcast dives into investigation encounters and mysteries, not only running them and planning them correctly in your game sessions, but also how to plan an entire mystery-focused session or adventure. Not only how best to mechanically handle the investigations in an engaging and meaningful way for the players in the story, but specific pitfalls to avoid and best practice advice for making your investigations shine. So don your fedora and trench coat, because the game is afoot on this episode of your Order 66 podcast. Mm. These are the folks yeah. who, I, I may have uh, stolen their uh, episode description to let them, to let everyone know how, what, they're, what they're up to. 
Pretty exciting. Uh, but these are the folks who started the D20 Radio Network that we are members of, uh, and we're still going to keep trying to make sure that we're doing our part to make sure that we are giving everybody else signal boosts. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, we love those guys. We haven't seen mm-hmm. them in an age, but... Right. Uh, we, got, we got to see them at, like, one Gen Con. We got to play with them, and that yes. was a blast. That was. Very spiffy. Mm-hmm. So, if you enjoy Fantasy Flight Star Wars RPG, go show the folks at the Order 66 podcast some love. Uh, and be sure to tell that if you have the chance, uh, make sure to call their hotline and let them know why you don't listen to the Order 66 podcast. Hmm. I think they're still doing that. <laughs> it was a thing back in the day. It was a thing back in the day. They had they actually had like uh, a phone number that was set up to take voicemails and they would... <laughs> why you don't listen. And you could tell them why you don't listen to the Order 66 podcast. Pretty entertaining. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So, uh, we're going to have a... Pretty quick stop into This Week in Thetis. You aren't worried I'll just make it up as I go? Not at all. You'll need to hear the whole story. Welcome to This Week in Thetis. And it's probably going to be pretty obvious stuff, but Faces of Thetis is out. (laughs) Hey, guess what? Uh, Pre-orders are shipping right now, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Unfortunately, we haven't gotten ours yet. Uh, I gave our friend at the local gaming store a pre-order for it one a very a, long one time age ago. ago. <laughs> so it's been what three years? Something it's like that. been a while. It has I been a while. Feel like that lady from the Titanic. It's been eighty-four <laughs> years. <laughs> I finally have my copy of Faces of Thetis. <laughs> Don't throw it in the ocean. Don't do it. It's not, Leonardo it's read it aloud to me. <laughs> Uh, so this book is being shipped out to pre-order customers. Should be hitting shelves at your friendly local gaming store within the next few weeks. Go pick up a copy so you can enjoy this book as much as we do. Mm-hmm. Um, they got an official preview up on the blog, let's see, on the Green Running blog, and of course you can pick it up from uh, Green Running's online store as well. Uh, <coughs> where so we've already got a pre-order in. It it'll be here when it gets here, and oh. we'll be very excited to have it in our hands then. But for now, we've still got the PDF. Mm-hmm. Check it out for sure. Well, well, I think it's time that we should consult our codex. You can ask me questions if you like. I'm not sure why you'd want to, but... Oh, good. Thank you. I'm going to regret this, aren't I? All right, we've got a chock-full codex this time. We've got three whole questions to, a- to ask, uh, one of which I wrote down quite a few answers to because I... Responded in the email. Thought I'd put it out here so I have my thoughts uh, collected again. Uh, first question is coming from Jamie MK through our email. Thank you, Jamie. Uh, Jamie here is very enthusiastic and has filled up our docket for the Codex uh, for perhaps a little while with some pretty solid <laughs> questions uh, and has uh, promised that some dissonant versus submissions might be coming down the line. It sounds like uh, Jamie and their uh, gaming group is slowly getting into the pot and getting into the game uh, and might be checking out the podcast some more. So, hey, Jamie's group. Hey there. Ahoy. Welcome to the Wonders of Thetis. Welcome to the Wonders of Thetis. Uh, so... Jamie's question is, Salmonari slash Dreamers are one of my favorite things in the Dragon Age universe. I've been intrigued by them ever since I met Fainriel in Dragon Age 2. I was wondering how one would handle them in Dragon Age RPG. What if a player wants to be one? I'd imagine that'd be a gradual progression to it if it's possible at all. What about for an NPC? I see that you have Tom as a Dreamer in Brasilia. How have you handled his abilities? My boy! (laughs) 
<laughs> my precious mm. boy. This is really cool because I definitely think that the dreamer begs a specialization. I would agree. I was right on board with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it, it's unless, unless I'm wrong in when they're discussing Fainreal and Dragon Age Two, they they make a point that that becoming a dreamer, you know, you might you might be born with the natural ability as you might have with magic, but it takes training, it takes uh, significant effort to be able to actually harness that power, and that mm-hmm. that screams specialization to me. Yeah. Oh yes. To actually know how to use it and not just kind of fall prey to the demons, you're probably going to need someone to to show you the ropes. Absolutely. Yeah. Or I. If I were building that specialization, I would actually probably build in some sort of penalty to uh, to those possession rolls. Uh, when you when you fail and roll doubles, that you are more susceptible to demonic possession. You are more susceptible to the fade. Mm-hmm. You are closer to it. Mm-hmm. And maybe something too, where like the more of a certain amount of power you use, the mm-hmm. riskier it is. Like. Mm-hmm. The more you tap into your dreamer abilities, the harder it is for you to resist the, uh, what's it called? To resist, uh, uh, just demonic possession, possession, the influence of demons. Sort of having that be a balance factor could be really interesting Mm -hmm. as well. There's Uh, a lot of ways you can go about it. Yes. For those of you who uh, don't quite know what we're talking about, uh, dreamers are mages who have a very strong connection to the fade. Uh, they are able to. They see these are people who are actually able to remain very lucid when they dream, uh, and are able to even use their magic powers to shape the fade as they see fit around them. Um, they affect, and they can also use these powers to affect the dreams of others, which is already lovingly represented by the spell Dream Sending, mm-hmm. which they, I have used to great effect. Mm-hmm. It is one of the more broken spells in the game. <laughs> people just don't think about it. Right. I mean, if you're going to send somebody awful dreams There's no test night, to resist. No. There's no <laughs> test to resist. They get the dream you're sending, whether they want to or not. <laughs> the test to resist is not going Tough to luck, sleep Alistair. ever again. <laughs> Give me a forest or I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep coming into your dreams. <laughs> Goodness. So. That was the under, that was the under text. Uh, I would also think that dreamers probably deserve their own uh, focus, kind of like uh, Grey Wardens get, something like Perception Detect Demons. Because mm. one of the particular abilities that dreamers have is that they are very se- uh, sensitive to the, pe- to the presence of demons. Yes. Uh, now, because you're this particular discipline of magic doesn't really have a lot of applications outside of the Fade, it's probably going to be a very specialized specialization because you'll only your powers might only be particularly effective when you have projected yourself mm-hmm. into the fade by by going to sleep or using uh, or burning special herbs you need uh, to be a special campaign mm-hmm. or for you know an npc it would be exceptional yes for an npc mm-hmm. that could make uh, an excellent guide npc to bring to help heroes adventure in the fade mm-hmm. uh, now the wiki also told me that the dreamers can kill people in their sleep which is not something that the dream spe- sending spell specifically can do. Not in my experience. Uh, but, you know, being able to do more extreme and powerful things like that in dreams might be something that the dream mm-hmm. that dreamers might be would uh, might have for their specialization yeah. powers. Again, very niche, but very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe a spell that comes after dream sending, like dream attack. Mm-hmm. Nightmare. 
Nightmare. Ooh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't we already have a Phantasmal Killer? Oh, Phantasmal man. Killer! Oof, Weird. Weird. <laughs> it affects everybody whether they're asleep or not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, Tom, in particular, in our oh, campaign, my precious uh, boy. is a little dreamer boy who uses Perfect. his power to Perfect speak boy. with the spirits to see what they, other, what they see on the other side of the veil. Uh, which he has used to kind of help predict future events or notice when trouble is coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not perfect, but it did give him enough insight to tell his mother that he that she should not visit the conclave. Yep, that is why Asha <laughs> survives because she was gonna go, and uh, little birdie told her not to, and she knows enough to trust that kid. So mm-hmm. turns out it worked very well. <laughs> she didn't get exploded. No. She did not get exploded. Which was very good. Uh, I considered giving him... There were a couple of things that I looked into for from Fantasy Age and Blue Rose, like the Seer specialization, uh, but it's more about, like... it's more, That's more like the classical divination casting, uh, casting looking into the future, and mm-hmm. so it's not quite what we're after. A little bit off. Yeah. Because this is specifically about, uh, like, the things that Solus can do in Dragon yeah. Age Inquisition. Going into the fade and seeing uh, fade spirit, yeah, seeing spirits play out old battles from centuries ago, uh, and even I can't, and even you know maybe stepping into the Inquisitor's dreams for a minute, mm-hmm. you know, rude, because that's not invasive at all. No. no, that's not creepy. This is a I'm healthy punch relationship. Punch that egg. <laughs> gonna egg. boil that egg. He is a frustration. Gonna save that egg from himself. Question With a mark. Dagger to the kidney. <laughs> I'm gonna save you from your kidney. Hang on, I'll get it out of there. Jeez. Don't you worry, friendo. Alright. Well, thank you so much for your question, Jamie. We appreciate it. Very uh, much so. We'll very much look forward to uh to you know, hacking our way through the rest of the questions that you sent. <laughs> that doesn't make it sound very good. <laughs> you sent me like twelve of them. I mean but, that's so we've got a lot of stuff to work with. I'm very excited. Thank say, you. That's awesome. <laughs> I meant it's it more not hacking, it's <laughs> dancing. Dancing, that's good. I like that. That's better. She's the diplomatic one. She does communication persuasion around here. That's my job. <laughs> All right. Uh, from our good friend uh, Ben Hofker, or Drunkle Grog. Through hey, Drunkle Grog. <laughs> I won't see him this coming Tuesday because my, my game is on spring break, so uh, uh, it'll be two weeks. Gotcha. Yeah. I have been getting some updates about... Uh, the sort of ballad of mm-hmm. the the tragic ballad of Drunkle Grog. Grog. And <laughs> I am amazed but uh, I would love to get to play with you guys. That sounds like so much fun. Yeah. The um the fantasy game that he that he's doing is is out in is out in Columbus. Uh, mm-hmm. he's actually uh I'm running a, a Cold Steel Warden scenario actually nice. that is is kind of a, a seven meets unbreakable sort of scenario. So, that sounds good too. Um, nice. He he is running a character whose sole metahuman whole sole superhuman power is he has exceptional hearing. Okay. Oh no, that's it. <laughs> that is it. Nice. Um, but he can hear pretty much everything. Nice. So. Well, there you go. I mean. That can that can mean the difference sometimes. Well, mm-hmm. Maybe we should uh, get to his questions so, and he can hear that. Yes, let's. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Listen in, Drunkle Grog. Uh, let's see. The question was, well, 
But it starts with a rather declarative sentence. It's not a declarative it's sentence. It's also not a, a phrase. sentence at all. Splitting the party. Splitting the party has a reputation for killing characters and causing things to go wrong. As a GM, how do you handle when the party splits? How do you reward <laughs> players for making wise role-playing splits? How do you introduce challenge as a result of the split without causing a total party kill? It's a number of questions, but we can, you know, we can do it. I think it depends on how planned the or how expected the party split is. Mm-hmm. Because uh, there have been moments where I think we have unintentionally divided at times when we were not supposed to and quite possibly caused a certain amount of thinking on the fly. Possibly. Are we talking about the time that the party was split three ways and had to fight three different battles all at the same time? Yeah, that wasn't ideal. Uh, there's a couple of times like that. <laughs> but then there were others that you were well prepared for. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I think that was like the one I was prepared yeah, for. Yeah, like the, the one when we went into the fade and you were like, okay, well, mm. these are the things that are going to happen. Yes. So that was... But there, there have been yeah, other times when people have split up and made things difficult. The, what do you like to do for that? Uh, me? One of the either of you. Uh, I think one of the biggest issues that I've had in terms of splitting the party is that while you're working with one group, the other group is sitting fallow. So it becomes mm-hmm. very important if you're GMing, and the party splits into two or three different you know subgroups that you move very quickly in between them. I tend to, while GMing, increase the tempo at which the game is moving as the party divides. That's a good idea. So so I might, if I have this other group over here that's trying to sneak through a fortress, and I have a second group that's working their way through the sewers, I might ask the first group for a stealth roll, have them roll, but while they're rolling, I'm, I'm narrating something for the other group already. Nice. Mm-hmm. And then uh, then immediately, as soon as I ask them for some type of some type of test, I move back to the first group. That's Ensuring that you don't lose a degree of player interaction while the party is split, I think is paramount in those cases. Yes. You've and increasing the speed at which you're moving increases how often they get to continue interacting with the game. I would agree. And I think you've done that as well in my experience. Uh, With that very particular uh, instance in the Kingdom of Darkness campaign, the Pathfinder campaign, it was all one combat that was taking place and everyone was Mm -hmm. on the same initiative, but it was just three scenes that were going on at the same time. I was rolling. That was something I was going to actually suggest uh, yes. suggest next is doing we that had, exact uh, same thing. I had all the bad guys in the same initiative and all the heroes in the same initiative, and when that turn came around for that particular combat, we just smash cut over to them. You put me in an impossible situation. <laughs> I did put you in a really rough situation. Did we, wait, did I split the party four ways? Now that I think about you it, you did. And I the did. only reason I didn't actively die is because. Uh, Altair and Lily came flying to my rescue because yes, you put a single seventh level cleric against two rocks and a shadow demon. That was rough, and that was not very kind of you. Mm-hmm. You were trying to save somebody. I was by shoving them in your uh, uh, my bag house, of holding. Your, your bag yeah. of holding. <laughs> Quick, Harpy Queen, who is injured, get in the bag. <laughs> uh, 
And then we we did have one person die. In that yeah, adventure. one character did actually uh, die. But that was ac- it. Actually, was a bit more dramatic because it was a danger that was brought about by one of the characters not telling everybody that they were being followed by Rakshasa. That'll happen. And then, and then, of course, a huge, a, a powerful Rakshasa comes shows up, and shows and up just waiting stone cold for murders one of us. Yeah. Woof. Bad kitty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not good. Exactly. Not good. Uh, and then we had a bounty hunter who was out for one of the other characters, uh, who was with a friend, who was with one of the other, let's see, one of the others who I think was, I don't know if they were love interest at that point, but I think that was, uh, one of those dramatic moments where they realized how much they cared about each other. Oh, Yeah, I remember was, that. I think that was Roth and Silren. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh... To kind of steer back towards Ben's question yeah. here, how do you reward players? Ah. Um... This is this is the sort of thing where where if you're using inspiration or you know some type of fate points or you know some or for Cold Steel Warden's vigilance dice, that if a player is doing something to uphold the trope of the game, mm-hmm. that you provide them some degree of in-game currency. You okay. know, whether the and that might be XP by increasing the reward that they're getting for taking on an adventure on their own, so to speak, or, you know, some type of metagame currency. Um, For me, when someone is upholding what makes sense for the story, that's what deserves recognition. Absolutely. Yeah, I would agree. If Dragon Age used hero points, uh, Mm -hmm. we'd probably be going with those. Yeah. Those are good. I've done it before, I will likely do it again. Say what? I've done it before. I'll likely do it again. Nice. Hmm. Nothing wrong with that. And it's and honestly for for Dragon Age, it's uh, I often do this at con games actually, where you know things are a little more lighthearted and you know faster around the table. Mm-hmm. Where it's here's a couple chips. If you amuse me or you contribute meaningfully to the story, you get more of them. You can use a chip at any point to reroll one die. Oh, I like nice. that. That way, yo, oh, I really need stunts now. Let me reroll that one. Hey, I got the four I needed. Nice. Or hey, I don't have enough stunt points to do the thing I wanted. Let me reroll my stunt die. Nice. So. That sounds good. That's to just me. kind. Of, yeah, that's just kind of a quick and dirty method for doing it, but it, it's worked well in my experience. Very nice. It's. I think it's a good idea. Let's see. Uh, introducing challenge as a result of the split without causing a total party kill. I don't. See, this you is did almost kill me. Uh, <laughs> splitting the party in itself is already a challenge. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. your the individual pieces are going to have less versatility. If you've got a rogue and a mage in one group, and then two warriors in the other group, things are going to be probably pretty tricky. Well, if the war, right. If the warriors have to deal with a bunch of magic entropy tests. And you've got no <laughs> frontliner for the no frontliner rogue and for the, mage. the rogue and the mage, who are both very squishy and low armor rating. You probably don't have to introduce a lot more challenge, but uh, you should definitely consider your party to be probably at about half strength. Well, this depending on how how much you divide it. Right, right. But Mm -hmm. this also, I think, is greatly influenced by how well you know your party mechanically. Yes. Like, obviously, know the characters from a characterization perspective, but when you know what their average roles are, when you know which characters are good at which things... Which characters can stun lock with Mind Blast. I don't want to talk about it. 
Um, <laughs> that's, that's a lie. I always want to talk about it. Uh, but, uh, yes, which characters are incredibly gifted and can do things that are extremely effective and uh-huh. elegant on the battlefield. Uh-huh. And when you know which characters can do those things, you can try to challenge them in unique ways. Yeah. One thing I, I try to definitely keep in mind for a, a party split in this case is that when the party is split, they are actively making themselves more vulnerable. Because by default, they're always going to generally always going to be stronger as a full group mm-hmm. you know once everyone mm-hmm. has their bases covered so when preparing for whatever they're going to encounter i tend significantly to not push on weak on specific characters weaknesses mm-hmm. in those instances don't punch them in the dumpster because yes yeah because they're already putting themselves out there in a dangerous situation, if you're going to actively exploit weaknesses there, mm-hmm. it, it starts getting into that realm of, of poor GMing. Yeah, that's not very nice. Yeah, it the, the playing field is already not level, and then you're tilting it even farther away from the PC. So... It's something to keep in mind when you're when you're preparing that challenge, you know, not to go after their Achilles heel specifically yeah. while they're already, you know, rolled over and showing you their belly. Precisely. I think it's a good thing to think about. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we've answered that question pretty darn well overall. Yeah. Thanks for the question, Ben. We appreciate it. Mm-hmm. See you in two weeks, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, next question comes from another beloved contributor to the podcast, Parcival, on the Green Running Forums. What's up? How's hey, it going? Hey, Toby. Uh, Parcival's question is, uh, when constructing protagonist leaders and elites for our PCs to face, uh, the rulebook has some guidelines for fo- to follow regarding buffing their stats. What would your similar guidelines be for buffing the kit of such protagonists, such as potions, superior, superior slash rune weapons? I think he means antagonists. Hmm. Yeah, if your PCs like, are facing them, they would not need stat buffs. I think he just means, like, were... prominent uh, okay. individuals that the PCs would be facing. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I have any hard and fast ideas for guidelines, except to sort of maybe, like, I don't know, level... By the time they hit level, like, 8 or 9, maybe 10, give them... Masterwork plus one, and then, like, by, like, 13, maybe, or 14, Masterwork plus two, and, like, 17 or 18, Masterwork plus three kind of stuff. But, yeah, that, that makes sense. I, and this this does tend to break verisimilitude at mm-hmm. times. I sp- tend to specifically avoid giving NPCs things like healing potions or the like. Fair oh, enough. Oh, yeah. Because that's frustrating. Exactly. That's going to make uh, the encounter it, you, take longer. It, that's that's where I'm going with this, is mm. the fact that it, it it serves very little as aside from giving them an extra bank of hit points. And if that's the if that's what you want out of this, and age system has its own issues with hit points all its own, but if that's what you want out of this, just give them twenty five extra hit points at the start of the combat. Yeah. You mm. know, I mean, don't don't worry about actually, you know, giving them 
oh, well, he has three healing potions, but two greater healing po And it's like, no, don't worry about that. Put the mechanics behind the scenes and focus on making the fight scene interesting. Mm -hmm. I would say um, one time to maybe... Uh, consider giving them things like potions is if you have a rogue in the party that likes to steal things and use them in combat. Mm. Because mm. at that point, they, that might be something that would already be prominent in your campaign is that, yeah. you know, enemies have items that people can steal or if you don't yeah. manage to steal them, the enemy might use them. Like, in that scenario, I could see that being a valuable part of the campaign for whoever's, you know, you decided know, to be a thief. In, in all my years of gaming and GMing, I don't think I've ever had that happen. Really? Yeah. I have had, like, people try to deposit items onto another character <laughs> or monster, <laughs> but, not, but not actively steal from them. When you think about it, that's actually kind of odd. Like, yeah. that you'd have yeah, more... Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a little weird. Hmm. I very rarely though do my do my players run the full on thief archetype character. Mm-hmm. So hmm. the full on kinda klepto rogue who is constantly making stealth checks. <laughs> stealth checks, in... yeah, but, but <laughs> not 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 the stealing. That's that's a weird phenomenon. Gotcha. Hmm. Uh for making uh Elites for PCs to face, uh, I think it's, especially if you're planning on uh, having that elite fight the PCs, um, and like in a personal combat thing, you should definitely give them minions, and uh, just because it, it, however beefy a, an NPC is, if you've got one of them against four PCs, they're going to lose out on action, on action economy. All the time. Mm, yeah. If the PCs get four attacks, and each of those comes with... If the PCs are getting four attacks, even just they're just getting one attack each person, that's always a chance to roll stun points, which they can use to knock them down, uh, knock the weapon out of their hand, deal extra damage, uh, or enact any of their special tricks that they might have. So, adding some minions that can get in between the PCs and make things a bit more complicated also can make the scene a bit more exciting than just like a one-on-four duel. Mm-hmm. One of my one of my favorite mechanics that has come out of fourth and then fifth edition D and D mm -hmm. is actually the idea of the legendary monster who has lair actions. Yes. That when you're fighting that dragon in its lair or on its home turf, that on initiative count twenty or initiative count ten, stuff happens. I like it. And that helps kind of even out that action economy so you can fight a one-on-one -on -one monster. Um, within the Dragon Age setting, I don't think that really happens very often. I mean, for for a game called Dragon Age, dragon fights are not exactly frequent things. They're really not. So within that context, I mean, most times you're fighting, if not an equal force, then relatively multiple actors on each side. Mm -hmm. But in those occasions uh, where you have lots of players on one side and then just one big creature on the other, maybe it's something to consider to crib a rule from them and yeah. uh, toss in a couple lair actions. Thankfully, uh, high dragons do seem to have a fair amount of action economy themselves because they can mm. use a major action to perform two attacks, and then as a minor action they can like beat their wings, which moves players around the field. Uh, yeah. 
and they've got ranged attacks and melee attacks, and they can perform some uh, special moves. Like uh, I think, I think their roar is is a minor action that they can do, which can uh, hurt yep. PC action economy. It, so they've they've so, done some homework, yeah. I think, when they were writing yeah, the high dragons, it, and I, I appreciated that. And that's a that's a good model to follow. But if you were trying to do something like, you know, a an, an advanced elite ogre fight, mm-hmm. or maybe a maybe a big rock wraith or something like that, um, it may be something that might be a good template to follow in yes. terms of like, oh well. You know, on initiative count ten, the rock wraith gets to throw a rock. You know, at someone. I think that's good. I've uh, <laughs> that was what I, pretty much what I had to do for the mythic campaigns. Was the only way I was yep. going to have these bosses remain relevant was have them go at least three times. Yep. In a round. <laughs> uh, so that is something definitely worth keeping in mind, and of course, giving them nice stuff. Uh, is always an option, but it is also always worth remembering that when you give them that nice stuff, the PCs are going to get it when they beat them. Yeah, so make sure that you're okay with the PCs having that stuff. I, I want to say, if they win, I mean, but you're probably... Usually kinda, they win. You're, we're kind of hoping that they are going to be winning this, at <laughs> least eventually. <laughs> but they're going to want to claim that magic sword. Yep. Yep. Truth. All right. I think that's good. Mm-hmm. Man, I mean, good questions this yes, time around. absolutely. Thank you, everybody. We appreciate the contributions. And, of course, those of you out there listening, if you have a question about the Dragon Age RPG, whether it's mechanics, build suggestions, questions about lore, clarifications about old episodes, or anything else, send a message to onesathetispodcast at gmail.com. Send it to us through our Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+, or SoundCloud accounts. Or send a personal message to Cot the Protector or Healerpuff on Green Running Forums. Or send a message to Cot or Lise on the D20 Radio Forums. That's us. I'm going to have to amend that when Google Plus goes down. Yeah. God, It's until, on its way out. What, July? I think it's like early, like late April. Oh, wow. We're running out of time. Like April, <laughs> yeah, I don't remember. Uh, so I it's forgot. coming up. It's coming up. I forgot that I had created a Google Plus page. <laughs> right. Uh, the, the age community was actually pretty active on Google Plus, so I was uh, mm-hmm. I was very diligent to make sure that we got on there. But mm-hmm. uh, I think now with Google Plus going down, they've moved to a new to a site called MeWe. I've heard of this. MeWe. Yeah. Me-we. I just kind of like saying mm-hmm. MeWe. MeWe. <laughs> so I post over there now, and we'll probably be adding that to the see, to our to our spiel. Can we say it maybe every time? Uh, oh, absolutely. Okay, good. Uh, we will be skipping the dissonant verses this time uh, for the aforementioned reason. But we haven't mentioned it. Well, I don't know if we actually mentioned it on the air. Uh, we have something in mind, but we haven't really gotten explicit recent permission to use it. I got permission to use it back in December, but I just wanted to make sure that that permission still holds and still holds. I imagine true. it does, but. You know, probably, but I figured. If you want to wait, we can wait. Yeah, I figured it would just be kind to that creator. Uh, so we will share that with you whenever we get the chance. And of course, if you've got custom Dragon Age RPG content, you can send it, send it to all the those places channels. we said. Yes, all those channels we just mentioned. But for now, I think I'm ready to talk about Dragon Age and social media. Yes. Since you know we're talking about this is a, a Facebook, Facebook pun, isn't it? <laughs> talking about a Facebook. Welcome to the main topic, everybody. Talking about a Facebook! Is it fate or chance? I can never decide. 
We've arrived. We muscled through the pun. <laughs> you love the pun. Yeah. I kind of That one inflicted less damage than usual. <laughs> well, I was going to I was going to make some sort of joke about not being able to think of a good pun, but I thought that might be a little too self-effacing. Oh. Here we that are. That's better. I like that one. That one takes vocabulary. <laughs> I had that one in my back pocket. Ooh. All right. That's an SAT word. <laughs> All right. So, I guess our main topic is the faces of Thetis is here. Right. Finally, we have waited Fine. a while for this one, and it's we've got it. It's here. It's printed. It has arrived. It's in PDF. I'm, you can if if you pre-ordered it. it I'm yeah, looking at it right now. Pre-ordered it. It's coming to you, uh, and within the next couple of weeks, it's going to be on your shelves. Mm-hmm. So, the probably the big first question we should ask is, what is Faces of Thetis? Uh, and it, it's uh, it's it's a multi-part answer. Um, as Green Ronin would describe it, it's a who's who of the Dragon Age setting, uh, because Dragon Age focuses so heavily on, the series itself focuses so heavily on, uh, power on, like, important people and personalities and constructing, uh, compelling characters for you to, uh, to, for you to roleplay with in the game. Mm-hmm. I guess, see, they followed that, you know, getting those characters into the role-playing game was probably a good idea. Uh, and of course, they are uh, presenting all of this um, in the way that the Dragon Age RPG needs it. Lore is always good, uh, but Faces of Thetis packages everything as for uses as a role-playing game. Uh, it helps GMs bring personality and color to Thetis, something that the video games do very well, and is part of the reason that Dragon Age is so popular. Uh, Dragon Age has got a huge host of characters uh, that can be brought to your games, and many of the ones that could help drive the RPG, or drive RPG stories, are included in this book. Not all of them, just many of them. And we're not going to tell you exactly which ones, because yes. you know that would leave very little mystery. Yes, we'll mention a couple, and I might mention some by accident because I'm very excited. Yes, but I'm going to mention a bunch of them. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I see. I'm gonna lay my I'm gonna lay my tarot cards on the table okay. here. Um, I'm a very mixed reaction about this book. Yeah. I had very high anticipation, and I have a number of nitpicks okay. that I'm gonna be uh, pretty clear about. All here. right, lay them on us. My my biggest one is why is this book? Now that's I'm gonna get a little existential here because there are a number of reasons one can build. A sort of NPC guide. Mm -hmm. It's not meant to be a monster manual. And it is very much not. There are no monsters in this book. There, are, you're, If you're looking for Red Templars, they're not here. If you're looking for Nightmare Demons and Despair Demons, they're not here. Mm -hmm. So, it's not that. If it's meant to be an adversary guide, well... Most of the characters that are in here are not adversaries. Mm -hmm. That's fair. Uh, there are some. There are some but, adversaries, and I believe some of them are doozies. But it is a it is a decided minority in terms of <clears throat> in terms of adversaries. But my question, I suppose, is: Is this supposed to show us the major players of the setting, or the major allies in the video game? Because if that's the case. Some of the inclusions and exclusions get to be a little curious. That's fair. Because 
there are there are major allies within the video game that are not here, but there are inclusions that maybe are questionable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, have and a, coupled I have a theory with, around that personally. I I'd be interested. <laughs> the uh, my idea is that they went with characters that were most likely to have an impact, not just to be famous or liked or major like major players in their games, but players or char- but characters that were most likely to have enough of an impact on a story that they would require a stat block. Like I can think of certain uh, important characters from the games that did not get put in there that would be less than likely to actually act in ways that would be impactful to a story without I'm trying not to give away who I'm mm-hmm. thinking of because we can I don't want people to... who aren't in the book, I think. Can we? Well, I mean on the safe side. It's online. Yeah. Go ahead. Right. It, okay. it's, my favorite example is that one of my boyfriends did not That's make That's who it I was in, thinking of. Uh, Fenris. Fenris. <laughs> Fenris is not in here. Fenris, uh, you know, he's... To be fair, he's not really a very dynamic character mm-hmm. for a party of people he doesn't know. For a party of people he doesn't know, Fenris is not going to leave much of an impact besides that pointy guy over there is Who's very just grumpy. Gonna, yeah, he's just mm-hmm. going to sit there and brood. Yeah. Like, uh, or might even and, get in the player's way, like because he would because yeah. if the players are doing something he wants to do, he's going to interrupt the show. But not in necessarily, uh, like he could. Yeah, you could put him in there, but there are other characters who are less, vi- like less plot major who are in that book mm-hmm. who I can see being much more important as resources for the players yes. or for the PCs. Mm-hmm. So that's that's I'm my re- guess. I'm gonna rebut to that mm-hmm. point though. With Vivienne. That's a good point. Vivienne starts Inquisition as first enchanter of Montsamart and occult advisor to, to Empress Selene, who is in the book, and ends Inquisition as either the Divine or no. the head of the College of Enchanters. Mm-hmm. This is someone who should be giving us quests. This is someone Absolutely. who is a yeah, mover. Yeah, her and absence is surprising. Yeah, but a lot of the others, that... I could see the reason for their and one one in particular who is not in that book. They, I believe, kind of alluded to in one of their posts before making the the book about how including this particular person would inevitably involve major spoilers. For mm. things like, uh, yeah. you know, certain DLC. Maybe yeah, certain okay. sequels. Well, which we're not officially, like, we're going to not spoil here in this moment. I will avoid spoiling. I'm in pretty heavy disagreement on that on that one in particular. But I would, again, rebut, we have Flemeth in this, in this one. We do. And if Flemeth can be statted, so can said character. Well, Flemeth was not that big a... What they say about Flemeth and what we see of her stats were not that big a surprise. That other person, I think there are certain things about their stat block and their abilities that could... That are... That have... Like, that are perhaps beyond the pale that have not been explored without causing major spoilers. Like, chances are, if you played, like, the, I think they're assuming that first game is fair game. 
Like, mm-hmm. we all know that Flemeth is weird and death doesn't super apply and she can definitely turn into a dragon. And those are pretty much the yeah. things that get mentioned. But for that other person, the fact that there are abnormal things about that person are things that you only see either in very late game Inquisition or in DLC. And mm-hmm. so I'm wondering if that and, was too new for them to spoil. Well, I, I, I can see that argument and that makes sense. We are talking about a game that will be five years old this year. It's true. I mean, that is true. We're, we're, November the, the, the statute of limitation on spoilers is, I think, running out. And, but for what it's worth, the, the, the core book details Corypheus in the uh, making an Inquisition campaign. It does mention Corypheus. Yeah. I, I and, think and mentions him by name, not, not the Elder One or the like. Corypheus is not appearing in this book. Yeah. I think just that this is the, one of their biggest spoilers, and it's one that I'm mm-hmm. expecting that they would like to hold on to, just because mm-hmm. it is probably the biggest spoiler in yeah. the series. Like, I would argue that it's oh, yeah. the biggest spoiler in the video game series so i think they are probably trying to hold it a little bit sacred and i can understand that but i was a little sad and that makes sense but yeah that that seemed to be an odd exclusion Mm -hmm. for me one of the issues that i have with this book comes in terms of opportunity cost if you have in this case it's a 128 page book if you have that amount of space you cannot possibly fit every character within Bioware's sphere in here. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. There have to be choices that are made. My issue, and and we'll get into a little more of this, is that the choices that were made, in some cases, seem to be giving up a much heavier opportunity cost than should have been given up. Um... I'll get into that in a little bit. Okay. I, one one unrelated nitpick that I had was in terms of the art. And I, I am not an art critic by any stretch, so take everything that I have to say with a grain of salt here. Mm-hmm. It is obvious to me that they had access to Bioware's art assets while creating this book. Mm-hmm. Yes. The front cover is four of the tarot images directly from Dragon Age Inquisition. Um, concept art is is throughout from... From all three games. Okay, awesome. On the inside cover, and in fact on the back cover, we have this huge panorama of individuals, which really is kind of sticks in my craw, is the fact that there are a ton of individuals that I'm looking at that photo and saying, this one probably should have been in there, this one probably should have mm. been in there. Mm, yeah, I can see that being It's misleading. a lovely piece of art. But I it can is. definitely understand um, I, your, and your, your, where you're coming yeah. from. I did have a, a couple weird ones. There's a there's a very weird robed mage near Flemeth on the one in front cover that I just could not recognize, and he looked rather odd, but that was just me. But in amongst all of these, there's also a number of pieces of comic-style art. Now, fully realizing, you know, they're the Dark Horse uh, Dragon mm. Age comics, which are, which are generally good. But... They're very at odds with the the tarot style art, and the comic art itself is not consistent. Like uh, the mm-hmm. the drawings of Anders and Aveline both look really good, 
Meryl looks like she's broken in half. Like something is wrong with her spine. Right. I think that was like one of the early uh, concept art for Dragon Age Two. Yeah, it, as far uh, as I remember. it was. It was rough. Nathaniel was another one that I. It just was like whoa, and this one hurt me deeply. Sarah is unrecognizable. The piece of art that is next to her, it's as if someone described an elven rogue. And then the person just drew a generic elven rogue. That uh, I think that that was... I found that one to be a little strange. It was just very... It looks like it's very early concept art of Sarah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It just... That one, that one stuck out because uh, on the front cover, you have uh, Sarah's romance tarot card, which is, you know, her holding the arrow between her teeth, mm-hmm. which is which is fine by itself, but the... Uh, the art that they they put next to her actual stat block and her write up is have a bow. Yeah, and like Sarah has a very distinctive haircut with the bright yellow hair. Mm-hmm. There's no yellow hair, and and it's just tied back in kind of a, a basic bun. Yeah, well, here. it's definitely blonde, but it is tied back, and yeah. I think that's yeah. It looks very long, the, uh, and I think that that's but, probably part of what makes it so odd. Yeah, of a choice just, because yeah. her hair her haircut is extremely iconic. Yeah. Uh it just it struck me very like like who is this supposed to be? And then, you know, reading through the stat block uh next to her next to it obviously was just like that's Sarah no, that's not Sarah. <laughs> but that is Sarah. I, yeah, I wonder if that's uh, uh concept art. By the way, uh, I think I, that that mage next to Flemeth, I think, is Aurelian Titus from one of the comic books. Okay. Okay. Uh, All right. From like I, the I, one that Alistair, Isabella, and Varric were part of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I recognize the character from the uh, mobile game, <laughs> but uh, but they don't have a good picture of his face in that. Wait, they so, have a character uh, from the mobile game in here? Or no, no, art? he. Uh, he the character from the comic, Aurelian Titus, mm-hmm. is they they made a version in the mobile game. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Cool. The the mobile game has every minor character you could expect. Gotcha. And it it's it becomes very weird because right now, like some of the some of the best characters in the game are minor, minor characters. <laughs> Hmm. It's very odd. Okay. Was that is that Dragon Age Legends or no? That is uh, Heroes of Dragon oh, Age. Oh, gotcha. Yes. Okay. But, but all right. So fair enough. Um, shall we move on to to the the characters themselves then? Sure, mm-hmm. sure. So, uh, of course, the name of the game here for this book is the People of Thetis. Uh, they are detailed with person. Let's see. There are I, I believe I counted forty seven NPCs. Uh, let's see, non player characters, people who are in this book, uh, and they detail uh, their personal histories, uh, their personalities, and how you can portray them in game. Uh, how relationships with them might form. Their game statistics, of course, uh, and several come with variations that explain what might be different about them in campaigns where heroes make specific choices. Uh, which is which is a big plus because yes. you know if you're running that sort of alternate history saying okay well what we're running in a in a version where the fifth blight didn't end and Alistair is a drunk you can do that in this and that yeah and they've got they've got a stat block for that 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they've, they've even got some stat blocks or some sidebars saying, "Hey, this person might be dead." If you it's if you've got the right <laughs> timeline. Uh, yep. But uh, so we're not going to tell you everybody that's in the book, but we are probably going to drop a couple of names and mm-hmm. uh, see. But you can probably rest assured that somebody you were probably you might have been hoping for might not have made it. And, yep. But there are still a lot of really excellent choices in this book. Mm-hmm. There are. Also, there are... a couple of my dear, very favorite people did make it into the book, so I'm mm. personally happy about that. I got two out of three of my boyfriends in here, so we're good. <laughs> I consider that a passing grade. I'm pretty sure all of my romantic interests are in here. I think we got really good representation of her origins in this book, too. Yeah. Yeah, say my uh, yeah, my my little my sweet king child boy. Yeah, sweet king child boy. Sweet puppy king two point Yes. Uh, now, uh, not everybody gets the same amount of love. Uh, not uh, it's uh, or gets the uh, same amount of word count. Uh, not everybody is in mm-hmm. this is a pivotal character in the series. Some are companions of great heroes like the warden, and others only met the Inquisitor once. Uh, some drove plots in their own novels, and some are just like the best, like just the best, <laughs> like Krem. Yeah. Yes, Krem is yes, Krem and the Chargers, great yeah, inclusion. Yeah, I will, I will fight for that. That is a hill I will die on. Is that they, <laughs> their inclusion is and one not of the a best hill things. they will die on. They will be okay. They will not die on that hill. They will be fine. Be just yeah. We're okay. The um, and again, this is where I'm going to provide the the cynic response mm. here is. There is a decided lack of verisimilitude here. Um, one section that appears in a number of these, particularly in characters who have been either party companions or uh, party romance options, mm-hmm. get a section titled Relationships. Yes. Which is good. That makes perfect sense, especially considering Chapter 3. We'll get to that in a bit. Yes. But one, one particular case in this... Uh, Lord Seeker Lambert gets a stat block in here. Yes. Which is fine. He's in in one sense he is a very major player. And he's very important in one novel. Yes. And he doesn't get very far beyond that novel. Exactly. And he gets four pages, including a section on relationships. Whoa, really? Wait, I didn't see that yes, part. Uh that is page sixty five. Oh boy. Uh, he is page 63 Gross. through 66. Why? Why would you want this? Why would you want to I know this know. person? Well, actually... Simultaneously, we get two pages for Dorian, no relationship section. One page for Sarah, no relationship section. I think the relationships... One, one thing that I might guess about this kind of leads into another point that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. is that the Lord Seeker, you know, when you have these really iconic characters that are protags, if you mm-hmm. put too me- if you put show them too much in your campaign, they are likely to overshadow the PCs. And that and totally makes sense, but that that breeds brings the question, what is this book for? Is it to give us the characters who who are the uh who are the allies is it to give us characters who are adversaries is it to give us the major players i think it's probably trying to be a mix of all three yeah 
It's trying to do a little bit of everything, where it's like, here are some people who are extremely important and iconic. Here are some people who are less important, but could be, Mm -hmm. you know, names that you recognize, but that aren't going to overshadow your party. And here are some villains, and here's some backstory for these people who aren't very cool, like, who are jerks, so that you can use them more effectively in your campaign. And... I, I think I've made it pretty clear. My argument is that, that that is a lack of focus to me, and it is to the detraction of this book. Okay, I think that's fair. I mean, your my your mileage may vary. <coughs> you know, you may you may be very happy, but for me, if I if if I want usability out of a book, I'm going to be looking for a book that is either the major players or the adversaries. And I might question why to include why would why would I include Sarah particularly in that point? I love Sarah, but if I'm if I'm writing a book of adversaries, I probably not I probably wouldn't put her in. Right. But if I'm going to write a book for you know major allies or major major figures in the game, well, why are we getting Lord Seeker? Why are we getting four pages on Lord Seeker Lambert? Yeah, I don't know why we got never four pages on a video him, game. but he, yeah, the uh, I do think that it's about they they ranked them based on usefulness, not based on value as characters to mm-hmm. the franchise. Mm-hmm. I think this was ba- intended to be a book that is useful as far as the building of campaigns, and not so much as mm-hmm. for either of those other things. If I might also make a suggestion that is yeah. also potentially slightly cynical. Um, we're probably not going to get a lot of these books to come out very quick. So yep. maybe they wanted to try and get as much out of this book as they could. That is likely. They, I know they've struggled to get the okays and things. The back and forth between the companies mm-hmm. has been a major right. challenge. Bioware is yep. busy. And this yeah. doesn't make I mean, them a yeah. lot of money. So it's New. not a terribly mm-hmm. high priority. So mm-hmm. that is very possibly you know, affecting this just as well. Throwing two coppers in there. Mm-hmm. No, that that absolutely makes sense. I mean, we're sitting here. What uh, Anthem came out four days ago, three days ago. Dang, really? And nice. yeah. Uh, so I mean, they are they are up surely up to their eyeballs. And about the last thing that Bioware is probably thinking about is, you know who green Ronan is going to put into the, uh, put into their book. Right. And it, it's just, it's likely, unfortunately not a prior, not a high priority yeah. on yeah. their list. Yeah. Um, I know particularly with the Marvel heroic role playing game, that got to be an issue. Marvel came back to, uh, Margaret Weiss productions and said, why are we bothering basically? And the license went away. That's frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Mm-hmm. Especially considering how much, from a publisher standpoint, that IP costs. Right. Yeah. No kidding. But yeah, so I I would imagine that yeah, actually now that you've mentioned that that is probably a significant point in this is that they wanted to yeah. get as much of everything as they could mm-hmm. because they can't afford to focus. Because making a face yeah. as a fetus too is probably going to take another three years. Yeah. Yeah. If if it happens, if it happens. I mean, again, let's be realistic. But that also, oh, it it sticks in my craw though because. Again, going back to opportunity cost, we had it. We had the opportunity to include someone like a Vivian, um, but instead, we had we Dog got a two-page write-up. Okay, to be fair, I do love Dog. 
I've... Dog has the same stats as the Mabari Hound <laughs> in the core book. Wait, hold on, what? <laughs> really? They didn't give uh, him different unless stats? I'm, unless I'm wrong. I hadn't um, I hadn't compared them. Um, The Archdemon, the Architect, and the Mother get four pages in this book. I thought and they're that already that was, detailed in them. I thought that that was a weird uh, inclusion, just because we've already got them in a different book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I love Varric. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. Yes. They've already published a PDF of Varric, and they give him f- four pages in here. It was probably a letter. Or reprinting. three pages. Yeah. Uh, and Barkspawn which is weird because a... Talus is not in here. Right. I did notice that. I was curious to why to know why Talus didn't make it in. Probably because they had to get like. Uh, Probably because they had to uh, get additional per- infer- uh, what was it uh, permission from Felicia Day to use the character, which mm-hmm. which would which would make sense. But at the same time, when you have a product that already has Varix printed, why are we doing it again? I it it yeah, seems I see it, it seems a, like that's an he's op- so popular. I could see a page placeholder yeah. to say, "Hey, yeah, he's it." If yeah. you want this, go to our website. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I, I think about Vivienne, I mentioned I mentioned earlier. I mean, she she is a playable character. She is a mover and shaker. She is someone who can be both a both an ally and an adversary. Not a mention of her. Mm-hmm. Um, Blackwall. I mean, if we want to talk contact with the with the Grey Wardens. No black. Yeah, we probably shouldn't give too many more names because then we're. I kind believe of that's the book my away. last one. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. <clears throat> but in terms of opportunity cost, there are just some weird changes. Yeah, there were some. Uh, odd I'm sorry. Choices, I do have. But... I do have one more, and this, and it's only because this one. Really, genuinely confuses me, Yvette Montillier. I, after reading that entry, I'm kind of glad that she's here. Uh, I think that she, because I, I can appreciate, uh, now this is me personally talking. Uh, mm-hmm. We have this book that's filled with all of these really like heroic and hyper-competent people. Uh, and Yvette is like the sister of a hero. I kind of enjoy the inclusion of a character who is meant to uh potentially create some adventures but also potentially complicate some adventures for the heroes because she sends them on a mission that that uh, her sister then has to clean up later yeah. and and again she's not over she's not going to overpower the presence of the pcs yes full fully understanding mm-hmm. that but it's simultaneously a character that within the context of the video games and to my knowledge she's not in any of the novels or the or the comic books we literally have one singular conversation with Yvette. That yes. is Josephine. Yeah. Josephine gets a lovely write-up. Why not include Yvette as a as a sidebar for that and free up those two pages for someone else? That's fair. That is true. That could have worked. That's a good idea, actually. Yeah, I. Uh, there's a lot of. There's a lot of questions in my mind about about how the planning of this of, of this took, came together mm-hmm. because to me there's a lot of there's a lot of missed opportunity cost here mm-hmm. but I'll get off my soapbox okay. for a bit that's fair fair enough now uh, these characters uh, 
RNCR ostensibly, chosen for their use in a tabletop RPG to either act as allies, uh, act as complications, straight up villains, or uh, as patrons for the player characters so that they can go on adventures uh, or have more exciting adventures that have maybe got some big names that can be involved. Um, even if you now, uh, I'd say one of the things that I, I think I brought up a while ago in an older episode and I like to bring up again because I think it's very important, is even if you don't use these characters directly, that's still like 50 plus stat blocks that you can just plug into any NPCs that you need to make. If you mm -hmm. need someone on the fly who's, uh, and say like if you need like a 10th level warrior on the fly, you can just, and say you can just go grab like, uh, Alice, like drunk Alistair. Mm -hmm. Bam, you've yep. got one right there. And that is eminently useful. Yes. Yeah. Yep. It's super. Um, it's a one thing, super good versatile thing to have. Yep, uh, and the fact that uh, a number of the uh, a number of the characters, especially some of the more some of the more major, um, I hate to say it because there are a lot of major characters in here, but mm -hmm. like, um, characters along the lines of Alistair or Cassandra have multiple stat blocks, mm -hmm. so. You can see them early. You can see them late. Mm -hmm. Very useful, and that gives you more use of that of them as time goes on. If mm -hmm. nothing else, stat blocks are are always always going to be go going to be helpful. Yes, mm -hmm. I think um, I, uh, I see the notes that you put down. And I, yeah, there are a couple of a couple of places. There are a couple of weird things. I do have to agree with a couple of them. I looked at some stuff. Uh, there are some choices that were made for uh, NPC stat blocks that seem perhaps a little just to to put a like having played the game to, to not go into specifics. Yeah, they seem a little odd. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if it's a particular nitpick of mine, uh, but I was very strange, weirded out that Duncan was not a rogue. Really? Yeah. I, that was the impression that I got from him for the longest time. That was like what he, that was like, cause it was like in the, in the calling in the novel, he seemed to kind of fit that role because Merrick was a warrior. We had Fiona as a mage, mm -hmm. and then Duncan was, you know, he'd already had like a reputation as a thief. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and he, and, and even in the games, he's, you know, he's dual wielding and he's jumping around on people, and yeah. he doesn't and, look. He's wearing particularly heavy armor, but in this book, he's got a thirteen armor rating. He's a fifteenth level warrior, and he's focusing in two handed style. Yeah, that that is some weirdness. I thought right that. There. I mean. As a person who very much enjoys two-handed style warriors, I was kind of down for mm -hmm. it. But yeah. for this character well, that... in particular, I thought it was kind of strange. Well, that kind of uh, made one of the ones that I pulled out. The the fact that Ogren is wielding a dagger. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> though though the actual numbers seem to line up to what a to what a two-handed warrior, mm. a two-handed axe should be. I'm gonna hold. But I'm gonna hazard a guess that that's a that's a misprint. Maybe I. I would agree. I, that would make sense. But I get, and this is knowing the publishing end. If you're using placeholders, why aren't you using X X X X X X X X X? You know, why are we using like an actual word? Mm -hmm. Exactly. That Oops, that is that is where we're doing the yeah. yeah. 
Um, I um, I might point. To, I might say that maybe it was because the, the stat block is supposed to be like when. Uh, it wouldn't make sense to have the axe well, numbers for the dagger. When well, yeah, Ruby, that yeah, that is strange. I might. It deals like three d six plus seven. <laughs> yeah, one of nice one of these things is not like the other, and um, it's neither of them is like each other. There's a typo here. Maybe yeah. it was supposed to represent uh, Ogren wandering uh, the Diamond Quarter looking for help with stuff because he's been stripped. He's been stripped of his warrior status and isn't allowed to carry weapons anymore. Good thing he has this special dagger that does three d six damage. <laughs> That's pretty yeah, awesome. That's not holding He's water very for me. good with that. This dagger. is, this is a typo. They happen. I'm yeah. not mad. Yeah, but this is a typo. No, I'm not either. But it is a it is a weird thing. Uh, the the one that st- stuck in my craw more though was Iron Bull is not a reaver in this, which is. I did find I, I I saw the reason that they made the choice because it's included in the write up, but I also understand why it's an odd. Ch- I understand why it's an odd choice for folks who've played the game. Iron Bull is the iconic Reaver throughout the entire series. I mean, is there another character at all who defines that specialization? Uh, I don't think there is. Uh, not really, no. I mean, people not. I mean, nobody who's like a, a, a hero who's here to help you. I mean, certainly we have champions all through. You know, yeah. we have the upright, righteous warriors. But Iron Bull is the Reaver, and when you have that specialization already in the core book, why aren't we using it? It's a fair point. But it was um, the. That sort of thing, I can get around. Uh, they're still usable stat blocks. They're still eminently, you know, mm-hmm. perfectly fine. Especially if you're, especially if you are going to file the numbers off and, and use them. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, there are some niggling uh, type of lore and, and choices that were made that it, that are like that make the Dragon Age lore person in me just kind of cock my head sideways. Gotcha. Yeah. That's fair. Um, and uh, it's, I guess we can close off this particular section by uh, asking, I'd like to ask each of our hosts, who is your favorite included NPC? Mm. Uh, Andy, I see you wrote your answer down. Would you like to uh, elaborate? I, I, I did. Um, I went with Cassandra. I, I have an affinity for her Anyway, she's a very three-dimensional character uh, through Inquisition, regardless of how your Inquisitor interacts with her. I mean, the the fact that, you know, on one level you, you learn certain things about her in the romance, but, and as a friend, if you, you know, if she becomes divine, if she, if you make her mad, um, you learn more and more about her as it goes on. The write-up for her was very thorough here. There's a there. She does get a section on uh, uh, having re- uh, relationships with Cassandra, what she values and the like, mm-hmm. uh, and she is one of the ones with multiple stat blocks. So for me, Cassandra exceptionally done. Yes. Uh, for me, I think it's got to be my my hmm. dear true love, uh-huh. Cole. <laughs> Cole is. My sweet summer child, and I adore him. 
And uh, I also, I thought it was a really, like, there's something attached to his write-up, a new mechanical option that mm-hmm. I thought was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yes. So yeah. That I was, that was, that was cool. definitely a strength. Yeah. The fact that he got this cool mechanical option added to him and then also, you know. Made it available for PCs. Yes, it is available to mm-hmm. use as a PC. What is it? Yep. You'll have to you'll have to get the book and uh, check it out. Or listen in like five minutes oh, <laughs> when we spoil we it because we're so it? excited. Uh, we're 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 bad at. We this. are going to mention it, uh, because it's one of the things that we want to mention. Mention that is available yeah. as a PC. We option. shouldn't explain it too hard, though. We're giving no. away all the good secrets. Fair enough. Um, but uh, yeah, so Cole is my favorite. I I think. My favorite entry was Anders, mm. Uh, mm. because it was long. His... Uh, it was very involved, and it included it, and it included a lot of variations on his potential outcomes because there are <laughs> there are many. Uh, it includes Anders as of uh, Dragon Age Origins Awakening, and it includes an Anders as of Dragon Age Two. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and variations upon both of those. Yeah, his is another particularly strong one, mm-hmm. and it even like has variations of what powers he will have based on specific mm-hmm. choices that the players make. Mm-hmm. It was it was a really strong entry, and I really liked it. All right, yeah. that's fun. So uh, to hear, well, that's chapter one, <laughs> right? That's chapter one. Let's move on to chapter two, which I honestly love. This chapter, organizations. Yes. I actually felt that this was the strongest chapter of the book. Yes, I'm very, very fond of this chapter. Uh, honestly, whoever they got to write some of these entries, I was, mm-hmm. I was, I, I was loudly chuckling as I as I read them. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they had uh, someone see who it. I, I at least I think through the writing had some pretty strong opinions on this Dragon Age stuff. Um, <laughs> That's what you want, though. But Faces of Thetis details sixteen organizations uh, from Th- from Thetis. They are written to inspire adventures involving these organizations, uh, and I was getting ideas just by reading them. And uh, this is mm-hmm. this is I think one of the places where the book really is shining. Uh, entries will speak about how you can become members, uh, how you can how you can just use them in a campaign, whether or not the players are directly involved with them, uh, and give some brief histories on them. Uh, it also this this book actually this book actually gave me a bit of lore that I was not aware of through this organization's mm-hmm. chapters, uh, and it helped color these organizations in ways that made them extremely useful and flavorful for a campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely. Five of these organizations include tiers of membership with titles attached so that you can have your characters become invested and get some income and perhaps some extra responsibilities. Uh, One of them includes a few new honorifics that heroes can earn as a member of that organization. And so I, I had a lot of fun reading this chapter and, uh, I, and there were a couple of things that I wanted to point out for it, but you know, we can, we, we've already pointed out a lot of things. Maybe we can, maybe, maybe we'll skip that one in particular. Yeah. We are, we're running a little long already. But you know, yeah. small nitpicks yeah. for what I honestly thought was just a very strong chapter. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, agreed. I, I, of the same mind. This uh, this was a lot of fun. The only kind of question that I had in my my mind was that the Canari mm-hmm. uh, section was split into the three parts of the Kuhn, mm-hmm. which seemed kind of an odd decision to me. Like, it makes sense mechanically, uh, 
and I can I can see why they did it on that end, mm-hmm. but they're all part of the same cune. You know, mm-hmm. it 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 doesn't strike me as separate organizations, just branches within one. So yeah, thematically it seemed odd. Mechanically, it makes sense. I I, I was down for it because they have such different goals. Uh, individually, with you know, one being the military, one being the uh, like working at home, and one being uh, the mm-hmm. priesthood, it's they've all got very different focuses, so it, it worked for me at least. I feel like also that way they can have sort of write ups of each of these without them sort of getting the chocolate in the peanut butter, as it were. Mm-hmm. Keeping them mm-hmm. separate sort of keeps the flavor of each type separate, although you know, and it also keeps one particular faction from getting too complicated yeah fair enough all right uh next uh is not chapter three we're gonna just jump into some new backgrounds that you can select as player characters Mm. and some of these uh i think have been requested for a little while and one of them really came out of nowhere and i was very excited about it Mm -hmm. um the first one uh, comes as part of Meryl's entry, is the Dalish Mage. It's about time. Uh, the Dalish Elf background in the core book already lets you pick Mage, uh, but if you want to have your background be very specifically, I am a Dalish Mage, this is a Trademark. really solid one. Gives you that mm-hmm. juicy plus one to magic. Just saying, plus <laughs> one magic. I would say it never hurt anybody, but I'm almost certain it's hurt somebody at some point, so. <laughs> Absolutely. Marathari. It hurt no. Marathari. Uh, moving on. Right in the heart guts. Uh, the next one is uh, well, the one that kind of came out of nowhere and is included. The one that as, I hinted at. Yes. The Incarnated mm-hmm. Spirit. Yeah, if you want to make a coal person. Someone who is uh, a spirit in a mortal body, sort of teetering between the human and the spirit worlds. This is your background. It uh, comes with a special talent that you can only use if you're from this background, and it's one that Colsey uses quite a bit. And we're not going to talk about it because yeah, we're you got to buy one. the book. Yeah, check that one out yourself. And uh, although Cole is a spirit, of this compa- was a high point. Yeah, this yes. was really cool. I would love to make a character uh, I was with this glad background. To see this. Um, although Cole is a spirit of compassion, well, you don't have well to be. executed this, and a welcome uh, background inclusion. will allow you to be a, 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 from a number of spirit backgrounds. You could be valor, justice, command, faith, hope, or many others. It all works with this new mm-hmm. fancy background that I'm you very should very much excited for definitely uh, check out. Very much excited to have an episode about this one. Oh yeah, at some point. Mm-hmm. First, y'all buy the book. Uh, and finally, of course, we have uh, the Kunari Ben Hasrath. Mm-hmm. If you want a character who grew up like Iron Bull or Talus, this background can make you part of the Kunari Priesthood's secret slash secret police from level one. We had talked before about there being an absence of this, and yes. so having it now, that gap being filled, I think is very good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kind of lets you uh, come from, because we've got two backgrounds that already let you come from the Antom, and now we've got a background that lets you come from, uh, let's see, uh, from the Priesthood. Uh, that's the... Uh, that's, now let's see. Well, I'm thinking about the triumvirate names particularly. In particular, Arishok, uh, Arth. Let's see. Was it uh, Arigina. Arigina and Ardikun? Yep. All right. Uh, and then moving on to chapter three, we talk about relationships. Yay! They're finally here. Blue Rose got them. Uh, got them first. Fantasy Ages got access to them. Uh, but they were written for Dragon Age in the first place. So they're finally and now here. Now we have them. 
Mm -hmm. You can finally use the game rules to emphasize the importance of the relations your characters have with each other or with themselves, or with the folks in this book. Uh, we won't be talking about it very much in depth here because we'd like to take the time... Uh, see, not th th this episode. We'd like to talk about it in depth in another episode because we think it deserves a lot of time to talk about it. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, because we all know what game we're playing. <laughs> we, <kn> <laughs> we know that we want those extra stunt points to get that uh, to get that particularly exciting smooch or that particularly hard punch in the gut. Yep. <laughs> Uh, the game already kind of lets you define characters' ties uh, to PCs or NPCs, their goals, their titles, honorifics. Uh, relationships have a specific place. Uh, relationships are meant to give mechanical oomph to the interactions and adventures your heroes have. Uh, therefore, uh, they are meant to represent the people most important to your hero and give them strength to perform heroic or unheroic deeds. Uh, they can be friendly, antagonistic, or romantic. None are given more particular priority. Uh, this means that you can have your friendship slash rivalry slider. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this was a really welcome inclusion. I do wish, and, and this is the opportunity cost issue mm -hmm. as well, it is the easily the shortest chapter. It's only five pages, six pages. Mm -hmm. um, and if you, have, if you have Fantasy Age, if you have Blue Rose, you're not going to see really anything... That's particularly new, aside from the aside from the examples being Dragon Age specific, mm -hmm. but it is a welcome inclusion and and very fitting for Dragon Age. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. all in all, looking forward to the discussion on how to use those. Yes, yes, uh, very much. Ex also, very much excited to actually get to use them uh, some more in game. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would say so. Well, I, uh, I think we've covered this topic pretty, uh, fastidiously. Yeah. Yep, there you go. Everybody go home. <laughs> we gotta have a face-to-face -face chat when we're finished here. <laughs> I think you'd be able to face me after that one. Oh, come on. Uh, well, hey out there. Uh, I think you're just losing face at this point. Ugh. Disgusted noise. <laughs> oh, Cassandra. <laughs> so, uh, if you out there, uh, let's see, uh, first of all, thank you for listening to the One is the Fittest podcast, as always. If you like what we do, please consider supporting us on our Patreon. If you support us with only $3 per month, you get to vote on our Patreon-only poll, which is worth twice as many votes as the other polls. If you support us with $5 per month, you get to hear the episodes a week early on Patreon. Anything you can contribute is appreciated. You can find a link to our Patreon on our blog and in the post for this show. If you'd like to keep up the show with the show, you can follow us on our social media. Feel free to comment, leave a comment or a question, or even tell us how your Dragon Age games are going. Feel free to comment on our show on SoundCloud, and if you can, please leave us a review on iTunes or Google Play. It really helps us out. Um, thank you, Andy, for coming on to talk with us about this one. Uh, Always a pleasure. I had a feeling that you'd have a couple of words to share about this one, uh, mm -hmm. but not disappointed. I am nothing if not opinionated. <laughs> I live that life. Uh, I'm uh, I'm very uh, kind of benefit of the doubt for just about everything, so it's probably good to have someone to balance me out. <laughs> yeah. All right, cynicism comes naturally. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, this is Ren wishing lots of sixes on that dragon die. This is Jessica wishing you good heels and happy feels. And this is Andy keeping the dread wolf off your trail. Thank you so much for listening to One of the Fadiest Podcast. We'll catch you next time. Bye bye. Bye everybody. Cheers.